Hello everyone, it's Thursday, August the 9th, and this is our 30th episode. Can you believe it? This week we're looking into the history behind the Saudi Arabian-Canadian fight. The border crisis keeps growing while a young girl waits for years to come to Canada with her Canadian parents. And you don't have to go to Afghanistan to get ISIS training. The camps are now in North America. And our first ever Prime Minister doesn't meet today's political correct standards. That's a lot. All right, here we go. This is Project Command. Stand by power Minus X minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Uh, the Euthanasia Debate, and the Kidsman series. So go ahead and check that out. They're fantastic, all those videos. Also, on our podcast, we have a second series, Missionary Stories. So far, we've done Hudson Taylor, Corey Ten Boone, um, John and Betty Stan, and this week, we're going to be looking at the life of Mary Celestinger. If you're looking for a speaker for the fall for your church, you can contact me on my website. All right, so the stories I'm talking about this week. This week's stories have a lot of names. I'm just going to start off by letting you know all of which I'm probably going to pronounce wrong. So I'm just going to give a big whole sorry in advance for all the names I'm going to mispronounce in this entire podcast. All right, here we go. We're currently in a feud with Saudi Arabia. This started when our foreign minister, our foreign affairs minister, uh, Christina Freeland, she tweeted about a guy named... Rive. Okay, so this guy's a journalist that was arrested in 2012, and he'd been speaking out against against uh, Sharia law in Saudi Arabia. Rive was sentenced to 1,000 lashes and 10 years in prison. So 1,000 lashes. And the lashes are to be done 50 at a time over 20 sessions. So he is now suffering severe health problems in prison due to the lashes he has already received. And he still has many, many more lashes to go. And he's in prison for saying things online against Islam. Uh, So his wife and his three children were threatened, and they actually escaped and came to Canada. So they live today in Quebec. And Rive, he wants to come and live in Canada with his family. So this is the kind of immigrant that we need in Canada, one that's willing to speak for freedom even if it means being tortured and even killed. So his sister has now also been arrested, and she also has been speaking out against Islam, and she will probably face the same fate as her brother. I do not often, like very, very rarely, do I side with Trudeau on issues, but I agree with him. This guy must be freed and allowed to come to Canada. And Canada should not be working with any country that practices Sharia law. That includes Saudi Arabia. Now, this is kind of interesting since the liberal government under Trudeau has brought forth a motion that would make criticizing Islam a crime in Canada, which is literally what this guy is in prison for. 
So the hypocrisy here is a little bit confusing. So after this tweet went out, what did Saudi Arabia do? Well, they responded by canceling the scholarships of 15,000 Saudi students and telling them to come home. There's also apparently 10,000 Saudi doctors practicing uh, in Canada that um, Saudi government is telling them they have to come home. So that's a bunch of doctors leaving us. All direct flights to and from Canada have been canceled. Trade is being blocked. Import of wheat is being blocked. And they tweeted a picture of a plane flying into the CN Tower with a caption that said we needed to keep our nose out of their business. And since Saudi Arabia was the main finance behind the 9-11 tax, that's a little concerning. Then this week, Saudi Arabia said Canada has the worst record of human rights against women. So Saudi Arabia, who just now decided women were allowed to drive a car as long as their husbands or fathers allows them. You know, the country that publicly whips women if they're raped. Yeah, that country says Canada is bad. So I agree with Trudeau in that we need to take steps to get this man home and also find a way to help all the women in Saudi Arabia. However, the tweet might not have been the best way to do that. The daughter of this man is speaking out now and she says things have actually gotten worse for her father because of this and that now she feels like there's no way they will let him come to Canada. He does need to come, but now that might not happen. So like I said, this is the kind of immigrant we need to be bringing in from Canada. We should be looking at the people who want to come here and bring the people looking for freedom and people fighting against Sharia law. Instead, we've cut a massive hole in our border and we're allowing people to enter. Anyone who wants to do so illegally can just walk right into Canada. We're putting them on buses and sending them to hotels in Toronto and we're paying for those hotels. We're also now allowing them to bring in relatives. So we've set up a whole infrastructure for the tens of thousands coming through the hole in Roxham Road. Meanwhile, those who are trying to come here legally have to wait even longer. For those coming here legally, they have to pay their way. They have to pay for their own housing. I have a friend who's been paying monthly for his health insurance because even though he's been in Canada for over a year, he still does not get health care and he's married to a Canadian. I have friends who've been in the process for years and they're still not citizens. But what about the ones that haven't even been able to arrive in Canada yet, waiting for years while these people jump the line and are welcomed? One such story I learned about this week is a girl named Winleen. So Winleen was born in the Dominican Republic and her mom was from Haiti. So they survived by going to the dump for food and scraps that they could find and sell them. One day they met a man named Vaden. So Vaden is a Newfoundlander who had moved to Hamilton, Ontario, and then started a project called Live Differently. So he took a trip to the Dominican Republic to help out the people there. This is where he met Winleen and her mom. So at the time, Winleen was four years old, and then her mom died. Vaden knew that if Winleen was left, she would be taken and sold into the sex trade. So he took this little girl back to where he was staying with his wife to keep her, her safe. And they decided to adopt the little girl. So they stayed in the Dominican Republic and started the process. In December of 2009, the adoption was approved and they became her parents. But one month later, Haiti had an earthquake. All these little girls' papers were destroyed and every single person who worked on her case was killed. And they were back to square one. Except the Dominican Republic decided to take away the citizenship of every person who had a Haitian heritage even if they were born in the Dominican Republic, and that included Winleen. 
So in retaliation, Haiti said they would not give citizenship to anyone born in the Dominican Republic. So this left any person born in the Dominican Republic of Haitian background stateless. So this little girl has no country. So her parents are staying in the Dominican Republic until they can bring her home. They had to keep her hidden because the Dominican Republic police go door to door searching for anyone with a Haitian heritage to arrest. So she just turned 13 now. She's pretty uh, young and she would be taken and sold into sex trade. So Vaden sees the trucks come by and these, they have cages in the back and like dog cages, except they're full of people. In the last week, Vaden has had to hide her twice. Vaden came back to Canada to meet with Trudeau in person and he was told that he could bring her home, but the paperwork never came. There's a petition with hundreds of thousands of signatures of Canadians demanding that she be brought to Canada. There's multiple news stories about her, but she's still there, and she's been Vaden's daughter now for nine years, and he can't come home to Canada with her. This is why it's a horrible travesty that our immigration system is being held up by those crossing the border illegally. People like Winlene are waiting, and that wait is longer because of those who are jumping the border. Besides the problem of jumping the line and making others wait longer, there's the problem of letting in potentially dangerous people. The world is a pretty bad place. There's a lot of really bad people. We have a vetting process for a reason. I don't want people who believe in slavery. I don't want people who believe being gay should have a death penalty. I don't, believe, I don't want people who believe a rape victim should be whipped publicly. I don't want any of the people who believe any of those things. I don't want them in Canada. People with those beliefs are already in North America. And that is the strange story coming out of New Mexico in the States. So this story starts with a man named Wahij. So he was born in 1950 in Brooklyn, New York, and he will grow up to be an imam in the Islamic faith. He raised three children, a son named Janie and two daughters named Sabahara and Hajara. So the Wahij family is clearly a little tiny bit radical. So in 1993, the first time the Trade Center was attacked, Mr. Wahaji was identified as a co-conspirator, but they were not able to prove that. Later, he would be a witness in the defense of a man named Abdel. He was the leader of an Egyptian terrorist organization. So Mr. Wahiji actually went to court to be a witness and defend this man who was the leader of an Egyptian terrorist organization. Then in November 2009, he met with the mayor of New York, Michael Bloomberg, and he said his goal was that all of America would become Muslims. He's the vice president of the Islamic Society of North America. And he said publicly that the FBI and the CIA, they're the real terrorists. He also is a close friend with Linda Sarsour. She's the one who organized the Women's March in Washington and has called for a jihad on the White House. So what kind of a dad was Mr. Wahiji? Well, let's look at his family. Jani Wahiji, married Hakim Ramazi. This is his legal wife, but under Sharia law, he also married this woman named Joni Laville. So the two wives don't like each other. Hakim got pregnant, and then the other wife said the baby was hers, and Hakim used black magic to steal the baby and put it in her womb, okay? Then the little boy was born. AJ was injured at birth and had a brain injury. So Wahiji traveled to the Middle East. And when he returned, he took AJ. He said he was going to the park, but he didn't return. This led to a manhunt for him and the son. The interesting thing is he was under an FBI watch at the time, and they were monitoring his compound where he was living. So I'm not sure why it took months for them to decide to raid the compound looking for AJ. 
What they found was this man, his two sisters and brother-in-law, and 11 children. The children were starving. They were living in filth, and they'd been trained to be school shooters. That's right. They were training these kids to be school shooters. The children were ages 1 to 15. Little AJ was not found. But what they did find was the remains of a little child. AJ is dead. He died when his father tried to do an Islamic ritual on him. So the adults are all arrested. And this week in court, they were given bail. And they have supervised visits with the children. You know, the children that they were prepping to be school shooters? What kind of a messed up world do we live in? Okay, probably right away, I know some of you out there are saying, Hey, are you saying all Muslims are bad? No, I am not. For one thing, the mother of AJ has been looking for him. And she is a victim in all of this. And her heart is broken. I can't even imagine what she's going through. What I'm saying is that there are people who follow Islam who have some very twisted ways of seeing the world. And we can't just brush these people off as a few crazies living in the desert. When we look at the father, when we see all the terrorist ties he has and his connection with mainstream political advocates for Islam and Sharia law, we have to be concerned. But what about us? Don't we have a history full of evil? That's what people keep telling us. All right, that's what happened this week with Sir John A. Macdonald. The statue of our first Prime Minister, Sir John A. Macdonald, was removed this week from Victoria City Hall. One person had written a letter asking for it to be removed, and with zero time for the citizens of the city or the artists to have any say, the city council voted to have it removed. Only one councilman voted to keep it, or at least to wait until the citizens had a say. Apparently, Sir John A. Macdonald was a racist, and he hated indigenous people, except neither of those things are true. According to the mayor, Sir John A. Macdonald laid the foundation for residential schools and made comments about the need to civilize the savages. Yes, he said that, because the word savage at the time was a mainstream word, because we're talking 150 years ago. I mean, if you go back 20 years, Teachers and doctors were calling people retarded, something a teacher or doctor would not say today, but that was 20 years ago. Those same people are still teachers and doctors. Should we find every single person who ever used the word retarded and throw them out, even though they've done lots of things that are good? I'm going to guess if you're over the age of 30, you've used the word retarded all the time. You probably called your siblings retarded. So, does that mean everything you've ever done is now void? Words change. What is acceptable changes. We're talking about a man who built a country. We're talking about a man who didn't learn the lessons from World War II. He didn't learn the lessons from World War I because he lived before both of those wars. He lived before there was even cars. So let's look at Sir John A. Macdonald and who he was. So John was born January 11, 1815 in Scotland. His father was a businessman who attempted many times to run a business, but seemed to fail at almost all of them. At age nine, McDonald's family moved to the colonies of Canada. They moved to make a new start, and they moved to what is now Kingston, Ontario. The family had no money and had to live with another family. Soon after they arrived, John's younger brother was killed when a servant who was supposed to be taking care of them actually hit his brother in the head and killed him. 
Schools at this time were expensive, and the MacDonald family had to pitch in every little penny to make sure that John had an education. He loved to learn, and he loved to read. At age 15, he finished school. His father told him he should study law because he was so smart and enjoyed reading. So he went to study law. He ended up working for a lawyer that ran into some family problems, and the guy ended up having to run two law firms at the same time. So a very young John ended up running one of those offices. Then in 1837, when John was 22 years old, the rebellions broke out. It was a war between British and the French. John was part of the British force, and he fought alongside Aboriginals, the British, and what was called Canada at the time. They fought against what is now Quebec. So France and Britain were fighting for control of the land. Thankfully, John saw very little action and didn't have to actually shoot anyone. He was a reader, not a fighter. Although his battle skills were a little not so great, his courtroom skills were amazing. He was very quickly seen as a prominent lawyer and even represented people after the rebellions ended who had fought in the rebellions. His popularity grew and he was soon pushed into politics. He became the Attorney General of Canada West in 1854 and he would end up serving as the Minister of Defence, Superintendent of Indian Affairs and would lead the Conservative Party of Upper Canada and after the forming of Canada would lead the Conservative Party of Canada. Sir John A. Macdonald's words might not be popular now, but his beliefs at the time were even more unpopular. According to Richard Gaughan, a biographer, John had some ideas at the time of Confederation that he held onto for his whole life, even though they were rejected by the rest of Canada. Macdonald believed that the native people needed to be part of our founding, and he wanted them to have importance without losing any of their rights. He believed the natives should have full voting rights in this new country. His plan was to have the native people live alongside the rest of Canada as full voting citizens. He didn't word his plan properly. His idea that we needed to civilize the savage was the idea that he wanted everyone to live together with the same rights, privileges, and opportunity. That would have been a nicer way of saying it, but he talked the way that people talked 150 years ago. John didn't just want the natives to have voting rights. He wanted women to have voting rights as well. He wanted the term persons to mean all people and not just men. This is an actual quote from Sir John A. Macdonald. Quote, I am strongly of that opinion and have been for a good many years. And I had hoped that Canada would have the honor of first placing women in the position she is certain eventually after centuries of oppression to obtain. Of complete establishment, her equality as a human being and as a member of society with man. End quote. Today, with all the technology we have, all the resources we have, all the lessons we've learned from two world wars, we still have the same struggles that Sir John A. Macdonald faced. We still have resentment between the French and the English. We still have questions of where women fit into the political debates. We still have indigenous people living in homes with no running water. We Our leaders today can't fix those problems, no matter how much money they throw at it. But somehow we think that our first prime minister at the very start of our country should have known how to do it. Under Sir John A. Macdonald, Angus Mackay was elected to the Canadian government. He was also a conservative and the first Aboriginal to have a seat in the Canadian government. The Conservative Party under Sir John A. Macdonald was a very open party. It would not be this open again for many years. As our new nation started, we were attacked numbers of times. One group that continued to attack Canada was a group of Irish Americans. 
They wanted Ireland to have independence from Britain, and they thought that attacking the new nation of Canada, they could capture us and hold us hostage until Britain agreed. Sir John A. Macdonald had to deal with them for 10 years. In 1872, Sir John A. Macdonald brought over 30,000 orphans from Britain. They were supposed to be given to families to live with and be adopted and cared for. They were supposed to be given the opportunity to attend school. For many of them, though, they were used as free labor. Today, one out of every 10 Canadians are related to one of those children. In 1873, Sir John A. Macdonald saw there was a problem. The country was so large and it was impossible for the government to make sure all of its citizens were safe. So he created a central police force that would be run by the Canadian government. They were called the Northwest Mounted Police. They would eventually become the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, or the RCMP. What Canada needed was a railway. We needed a way to keep the country connected so we wouldn't break off into a bunch of small countries. So Sir John A. Macdonald worked hard to make that ha happen. He ended up, though, taking bribes from businessmen who wanted to be part of the process. And that led him to lose the 1873 election to Alexander Mackenzie. And it was under Alexander Mackenzie, the liberal leader, that the Indian Act of 1873 was established. This act was not really been very great for the native communities. It was a terrible act. It forced the communities to give up their aboriginal status. Any that did not were not allowed to attend schools or buy land or even fish or hunt. This was not put in place under Sir John A. Macdonald, but under Alexander Mackenzie. Alexander Mackenzie would also make Treaty Number 7. This was the treaty where the First Nations sold their land to Canada, but then the government did not pay the money they were supposed to pay. In 1878, Sir John A. Macdonald came back into power. O Canada became our national anthem. The railway was created. This led, though, to a problem of time. People told the time based on the sun. And with Canada being so big, how would they be able to keep the train on time? What was noon in one part of Canada based on the sun was not noon on other parts of Canada. So standard time was created. Under Sir John A. Macdonald, the Hudson Bay Company sold their land to Canada. This made Canada reach from the Pacific Ocean all the way to the Atlantic Ocean. But this worried the French Catholics who were living in Manitoba. This led to the Northwest Rebellion. Macdonald would not allow the country to be divided or to enter a civil war. America had just ended their civil war 20 years earlier, a war that killed 750,000 people. So he crushed the rebellion in just a few months. This led to the execution of Louis Riel. This was a very controversial execution, but for McDonald's, it was a way to make sure Canada did not have a civil war. The Eaton store was created, phones were invented, women entered the medical practice, national parks were created, and basketball was invented. The country was thriving and moving in the right direction. Then in 1891, Sir John A. Macdonald had a stroke and died. He was still the Prime Minister at the time of his death. He served as our Prime Minister for 19 years, the second longest in history. In the end of his life, he regretted that he had not done more to make the Native community part of the fabric of Canada. He regretted not giving women the right to vote. He had so many regrets, as I think all of us do as near the end of our life. This is a quote from him. Before he died, he said, My sins of omission and commission I do not deny, but I trust that it may be said of me in the ultimate issue, much is forgiven because he loved much. For I have loved my country with a passionate love. But no, 
our political correct culture that forces the people of the past to live to the standards of our present will only see that he used the word savage and that his ideas that all of us should live together with one culture would eventually lead to people creating the residential schools. This means we have to make him a villain. As Christians, how do we look at this? Well, we have to know that when the Bible says all men have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it means that all people have sinned. And when we hold them up to the measurement of perfection, we all fall short. No one is a hero. If they had to be perfect to have that title, then they can't be a hero. No one except Jesus Christ. In fact, the story of Sir John A. MacDonald is a great illustration. People say to me, well, God wouldn't send me to hell. I've done all these good things. But are you perfect? Even the person who built himself out of nothing, helped create a country, found a way to keep us out of a civil war, believed in women's rights when it wasn't fashionable, and wanted all human beings living in Canada to be treated equally and fairly. Even that guy's not good enough, because if you look closely, you will find things he did wrong. In fact, you could take any person, and if you want them to be a villain, you can bring to light everything they did wrong and ignore the things they did right. And you could make them the villain of history, because all of us are sinners. But God didn't look at us and write us off because of the things we have done. He instead decided to come and take our place. God came to earth. Jesus Christ is God. He came and was perfect. You can keep up his statue. He is perfect, but he died for us. And on the cross, he took the blame for everything we have ever and will ever do. He took that blame and then he died. They put him in a grave, sealed it with a stone, and a Roman seal and guarded his tomb. But Jesus was strong, stronger than a Roman guard, stronger than a Roman law, stronger than a stone, stronger than death. And God overcame the grave. Because Jesus is God, because he died and rose again, he can forgive you of your sins. He promises he will take your sins and throw them as far as the east is from the west. Gone forever. He takes our sin and he gives us his rightness his righteousness. When God looks at you, he sees only the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In his eyes, we are perfect. I guess you could say our statues can stay up. Better yet, we can have a relationship with God forever in heaven with him. How do you do that? Well, first you admit you're not good enough. You're not perfect. Your statue would come down. You would be a villain. Then tell God you're sorry and that you want to live your life his way. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and he can do what he says you, he can do. Believe that Jesus is God, and he alone can forgive your sins. Call out to him. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. If you do that, if you call out to the Lord Jesus Christ and ask him to forgive your sins, and ask him to save you, if you do that, will you message me and let me know? I want to pray for you. And I want to help plug you into a good church in your area to help you grow. For more information on my speaking ministry, visit lauraleesiemens.com. Music by Robert Mack.